Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. This show is all about sharing inspiration, uplifting stories, and practical career advice from innovative, original thinking, and pioneering women from around the world. You can find us here every second week, or why not sign up at don'tstopusnow.co so you never miss a show. Plus, you'd make our day if you could rate or review us. It really gives us a boost in more ways than one. It sure does. Now it's time for this week's show. Hello and welcome. You know, sometimes in this bleak news cycle, with all the violence going on in the world, it can be hard to stay positive and have hope. If that's you, then our guest this week may well be the antidote you need. I'd say so. Dr. Deneo Tahane is a paediatrician and she's executive director of a vital medical clinic in the kingdom of Lesotho in southern Africa. Whilst at first glance some of Lesotho's challenges can seem overwhelming in a health sense, I have to say the progress that's been made in recent years is incredibly heartening and inspiring. Absolutely. Whilst nearly one in four adults living in Lesotho is HIV positive, the country is also one of the very few in the past number of years to reach vital milestones in ensuring the vast majority of HIV positive people are on the life-saving medication that allows them to live normal lives. Yeah, it's fantastic. Now, I first met Deneo when she was a junior doctor in Lesotho around 15 years ago when I visited there numerous times with Red. She was fabulous then and is fabulous today. And it's so awesome to see how she's grown professionally and now runs the Baylor College of Medicine Children's Foundation Lesotho, including its medical clinic, where, you know, she started all those years ago as a junior doctor. Plus, it's really inspiring to hear from Danae just how much progress has been made since my last visit. Yeah, it's really fantastic to hear some good news for a change, isn't it? Yeah. And listeners, we think you'll be blown away by Deneo's compassion and her contribution. That's for sure. So in this episode, you'll hear how nearly 10% of Lesotho's children are orphans, how Deneo stays positive despite the sometimes confronting experiences and challenges she's faced treating sick babies and children, why she continues to work in Lesotho when she could be living and working comfortably in the United States, and what Deneo's learned about transitioning from being a specialist doctor to being a leader of a large organisation. This is a fascinating and uplifting conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with the compassionate and dedicated Dr. Deneo Tahane. Dr. Deneo Tahane, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you today. It's very exciting for me. 
Oh, and for me as well, because, Danae, we met, it must be like 15 years ago now, in the kingdom of Lesotho, where you are, as we are speaking right now, uh, when I was working with Product Red and we were helping to uh, raise funds to finance HIV and AIDS programs. So how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm fantastic. A lot has uh, has happened since we met last time, and it's so, so wonderful to be able to catch up with you today you know, really exciting um, just to be able to share um, some of what, what's been going on here over the last 15 or so years uh, <laughs> since we last talked. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, um, we're very grateful that you could make the time because as listeners will soon discover, you're uh, doing such an important role there. That leads us really nicely, I think, into the first question that we ask all of our guests. And it's, Deneo, if you were at a dinner party and uh, you were sitting next to someone that you hadn't ever met before and they said, so tell me, what do you do? How do you typically fairly briefly answer that question? I think, uh, first off, I would say I'm a pediatrician, because even though over the last few years, I haven't really been able to do as much clinical care as I'd like to, I always really still consider myself a pediatrician first. But I'm currently working as the executive director for Baylor College of Medicine Children's Foundation Lesotho. We are a non-governmental organization here in Lesotho, and we provide clinical care and treatment and support services for children and families that have been affected by HIV, TB, malnutrition, and related child health conditions. And so over the years, those services have broadened to include holistic support for orphans and vulnerable children, as well as a lot of comprehensive prevention services for vulnerable groups, including um, like adolescents and young people, and those who are at high risk for HIV in Lesotho. Yeah, wow. You're right. A lot has happened and you've grown so much. It seems um, at the Baylor um, College, you know, and foundation there in Lesotho because uh, the expansion of all those activities. And, you know, for my memory when I was there, it was really focusing on caring for those with HIV and AIDS uh, in particular. It's just fantastic to hear how you've grown. Now, listeners may be able to detect a bit of, you know, an American accent. And I understand that, you know, you grew up and I think studied in the US too. So you presumably could be working there today. So what's the story for how you came to be based in Lesotho? Yes, I did grow up um, in the U.S., but both of my parents and my entire extended family is from Lesotho. So I was born in the U.S. and, and raised there, but growing up, I used to visit Lesotho very regularly. So during school holidays, my parents would uh, put my brother and I on a plane and send us off to Lesotho to go and, and visit. And so we really got a chance to get to feel comfortable uh, living here in Lesotho, feel comfortable getting to know the language and interacting with our relatives here in Lesotho. And so during those times when I was growing up, I always felt a sense of unfairness, if I could put it that way, that it felt unfair to me that I was so privileged in the area in which I grew up. There was access to so many great services and a lot of things that many of the relatives that I was close to here in Lesotho did not have access to. And so that feeling of the disparities and really the injustice of it all, the sense that it just based on the place in which I was born, I really had a lot of additional opportunities that many of my close relatives didn't have access to. That feeling stuck with me as I was growing up. So, you know, when I made the decision that I wanted to to study medicine, I felt that I always wanted to come and work here in Lesotho and, and really have the chance to try to 
do my part to help improve the services or access to the services here in Lesotho for those who are living here. What was it that made you interested in becoming a doctor per se, rather than, you know, some other profession where you could come back to Lesotho? My interest in medicine was really very natural. Um, My mom is a doctor. She's a pediatrician, actually. And so I grew up knowing about what she does as a pediatrician. And so that was something that had had always been an interest of mine. And she also has um, two sisters who are in medicine as well. One of her sisters who has passed away, I was very close to her growing up. She was a general surgeon uh, working in the public health sector here in Lesotho for the majority of her career. She was one of the few Basotho surgeons in the National Referral Hospital here. Um, And another one of my mom's sisters actually um, is an HIV clinician and a a senior researcher in Johannesburg at the perinatal HIV research unit there. They were uh, really strong role models for me growing up. My mom and my, my aunts, all very intelligent, strong, confident women. And so having that model and really being able to see and and know and understand what they do when I realized that I was interested in in medicine and I loved science and biology, it was a natural fit. And I really couldn't imagine um, being anything other than a doctor. Most of us have never visited Lesotho, unlike Greta here. Can you describe for us briefly both where Lesotho is and how people typically live and work in Lesotho? Sure. Um, Lesotho, or actually the kingdom of Lesotho, is a um, a landlocked nation. Uh, we have a population of approximately 2 million people, and uh, the country is completely surrounded by South Africa, so in the southern part of the of the African continent. We have a, a, a constitutional monarch, um, His Majesty King Lizia III, uh, and a prime minister who's the head of our, our elected government. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful country, very mountainous. We're actually known as the kingdom in the sky. Life here is very peaceful and quiet. People are very warm and friendly, but it is classified as a lower middle income country. So there are still many challenges um, with poverty, unemployment, and public health issues. Uh, like HIV, tuberculosis, uh, and other challenges within the health system. So really a wonderful place to live. And, and as I said, very peaceful and, um, and a beautiful country. Wow. I didn't know that Lesotho was landlocked with uh, South Africa. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's in- and it sounds absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And there's snow in the mountains and everything else. Really? Wow. At the right time of year. We definitely get snow in the mountains during the winter time, so it's 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 wonderful. It's and, absolutely beautiful up in the mountains. And do you have much of a tourism industry? Because I've actually never heard of anybody traveling to Lesotho apart from Greta. Yes, we do. We have a, a um, fantastic tourism industry. People come to do you know many outdoor activities, especially up in the mountains, hiking and. Um, um, horse riding uh, I've ridden in the horseback riding <laughs> yes there's even there's even a ski resort up in the mountains amazing so listeners you need <laughs> to go to Lesotho and it used to have quite a thriving garment manufacture sort of sector is that still the case yes definitely the case it's manufacturing and particularly the textile industries are quite a, a big sector of the economy here in Lesotho And I vividly remember just sort of the flip side, you know, that some patients that would come 
to your clinic back in the day when I visited would be sometimes at least one night overnight journey because of the distance and they would have they were living in such remote areas in the mountains or the hills and they might be able to get a bus but they might have to walk first for hours to get to the bus we visited some of those really remote villages in a four-wheel drive where there's barely a road is that still the case in some areas that there are these very traditional villages that are still pretty remote in terms of access? Absolutely. We still have um, challenges with with access from any um, basotu and really just being able to, exactly as you described, being able to have easy access to to health services and other other services um, can be challenging for many. And just for listeners, um, basotu is what you call someone who is from Lesotho, yes? Yes, yes. A person from Lesotho is a musotu and plural is basotu. Oh, okay. Antonio, what percentage of children are orphans or or have HIV in Lesotho? Lesotho currently is ranked number two globally in terms of HIV prevalence. Um, And and that has been the case for many, many years, over 20 years now. So so it's nearly one in every four um, adults is infected with HIV and translates to a little over 300,000 adults who are living with HIV. Gosh, that's a lot, isn't it? And does that then flow through into the number of children who are orphans? Yes, we have a, an estimate of around 200,000 orphans in Lesotho. And um, remember that our, our entire population is only about 2 million total. So quite a high proportion of children who are orphans or who have been orphaned due to HIV and other factors. Gosh, that's huge, isn't it? When you think about you, so you've 10% of your population are orphans and 22% are adults with HIV. So 32% of your population is severely impacted by HIV. It is uh, quite staggering to to think about the proportions in that way. Estimates vary in terms of the number of orphans, um, but yeah, roughly about 200,000 is the going estimate right now. Um, so really a significant proportion of the population. And so we, we like to talk about children and families that are not just infected with HIV, but just affected by HIV because there are so many other effects. Um, as you mentioned, you know, many children have been orphaned or families who've been dealing with chronic illness or other complications due to HIV and other factors. Um, So really the effects are quite broad for children and families or can be quite broad for children and families that are dealing with this issue. But thankfully, things have really improved in terms of services and care and treatment over the last 20 or so years. Yeah. And I imagine, although there's that high number of orphans, that the rate in which orphans are losing parents today, thanks to the medication, is a lot less and lower than 10, 15 years ago when still trying to get people onto the medication to stop both um, mother-to-child transmission, but then also to keep adults healthy. Would you say that's the case, that the sort of rate of orphans being created is uh, slower? Absolutely. I would say that Lesotho really has made great strides in getting the HIV epidemic under control over the last almost 20 years. So these days, the picture for children um, living with HIV or affected by HIV and families looks completely different than than it did in the early 2000s. So the Kingdom of Lesotho is one of the few countries that has reached um, the UNAIDS 90-90-90 targets for HIV epidemic control. And just to review that, that's a 
uh, under that goal, the goal is that at least 90% of people are tested and know their status. Uh, 90% of those who know their HIV status are on medication, and 90% of those who are on medication are virally suppressed. That's so fantastic. And of course, since I met you when you were, I suspect, a pretty junior doctor, at least in age, maybe not in expertise, perish the thought. <laughs> but now uh, you are basically running the show, aren't you, Deneo, in terms of the Baylor College of Medicine Children's Foundation, Lesotho, and the clinic and all the facilities there. So congratulations. And tell us, how long have you been in that role? <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yes, I've been uh, working as the executive director for the Baylor College of Medicine Children's Foundation Lesotho, or um, Baylor Foundation Lesotho for short. I've been working in this role um, since 2018. It was interesting. I worked in Lesotho for about seven years, and I was living and working here primarily in a clinical role uh, when we met and really just taking care of, of patients. So I worked for about seven years. And then after I got married in 2011 and shortly thereafter um, transitioned and moved back to the United States to live and work there for a few years, but I never really felt fulfilled there. Uh, I was working as a pediatric hospitalist uh, in the Washington, D.C. area and really loved my job and loved what I was doing and did have some great opportunities to support global child health initiatives and collaborate with colleagues working here in Lesotho. But I really didn't feel that my work was speaking fully to my passion um, and the factors that really motivated me to want to be a pediatrician and work in Lesotho and contribute to improving the lives of Basotho, making sure that they would have access to the types of high quality services that really everyone deserves. So when the former executive director, who incidentally was my mother, um, who was working here in Lesotho when she retired in 2017, I was in Washington. D.C. and applied for the job um, and ended up moving back here in Lesotho in uh, mid-2018. So um, it's been uh, uh, an exciting journey and really coming full circle to come back and work in the role that, that she had previously been in was really um, a wonderful opportunity for me. Uh, it's a pretty amazing and I, I think they're lucky to have you. And tell, what does a typical day look like for you? Well, these days, unfortunately, I don't um, really get as much contact with patients as I would like. And that makes me a little bit sad as, as a, a pediatrician, um, because I really love interacting with um, the children that we take care of. But I'm really focused on overall strategic oversight to the program, um, relationship management with stakeholders, um, beneficiaries with the government, our donors, and really just ensuring that we have good policies in place. They're implemented appropriately, um, working with our leadership team to make sure we're providing really high quality services and, and meeting our project deliverables. Um, and of course, really continuing to reach out and seek new funding opportunities and, and, and help make decisions about which ones to pursue. So primarily an, an administrative and strategic oversight role for the foundation. We've grown a lot in the last four to five years. We have a, a broad program with um, not just clinical services that we provide in our in our clinics, but we have donor-funded uh, programming throughout all 10 districts of Lesotho. So 
there's a lot to oversee. Last year, 2022, throughout all of our programming, we, we reached roughly about 300,000 beneficiaries um, through services and communities and health facilities as well. Uh, we do care and treatment uh, as well as HIV prevention and support for orphans and vulnerable children, as I mentioned. Yeah, that's that's really phenomenal. And you talked about the sort of the inequalities when you would visit during your school holidays and clearly being in the, the US, lived there for so many years over the different periods of time. How do you stay positive when inevitably you would hear or see firsthand, you know, lives being lost because they haven't been able to afford to get to the clinics or get the treatment somehow for whatever reason? Yeah, you know, fortunately, um, we're seeing fewer and fewer very sick children and and families. Um, So it's really quite exciting that these days it's becoming less and less common to have those who come in and are really sick and, and unfortunately don't survive. But that was the situation for many, many years previously, and, and, and particularly when I was working here in the uh, early 2000s. So for me, really, it's it's always been about focusing on the positive. Um, and for those children who we've been able to help being grateful that I was able to contribute in some small way to their survival uh, and whatever little part that I was able to play, really focusing on on gratitude for being able to play a part. But then also on the flip side, when we lose a child, being grateful for whatever we were able to do to help them, even if it was just a little bit. Um, so there, back in the early 2000s, when I was um, working in the um, National Referral Hospital here in Lesotho, um, I think I was a pediatric trainee at the time and doing a, a, a clinical rotation there in the hospital. There was a, a, a young mother of a, a child who passed away that really taught me a, a great lesson about focusing on the positive. Her child was about four years old and he was admitted to the, the pediatric ward in the hospital there, had advanced HIV and severe malnutrition. And uh, we were caring for him in, in the ward and he had some pretty severe complications and then ultimately just stopped breathing. So She rushed him into the treatment room in the ward and took a seat and sat quietly in the corner while we really tried our best to resuscitate him and and really did everything we could. But unfortunately, uh, we were not successful and he passed away. So he was really one of the, the first very sick children that I was not able to resuscitate. So it was quite hard for me. But what really touched me was that within you know a few minutes after her child had passed away right in front of her this young mother stood up from her chair in the corner and came over and thanked me for trying my best to save his life and she said that she she fully expected um, no one to react or care or really do much when he stopped breathing and so she was just incredibly grateful that I put so much effort into working to try to save his life and try to resuscitate him and she she told me that it really showed her how much his life mattered to me and to the other clinicians in the war that I was working with. And, and she just kept repeating how thankful she was. So that has always stuck with me that even as doctors, um, even when we're not successful, the effort that we put in does not go unnoticed, especially when we're working with children that we should always be grateful for the privilege of just being able to try to save someone's life. And, and even if it doesn't go the way we would hope that we should try to focus on the positive um, and focus on what we were able 
able to do rather than what we were not able to do. And so that has stuck with me and helps me to stay positive, um, even through through tough situations and and those which are ultimately not successful. So I try to keep that perspective in mind all the time. That's such a beautiful story. Yeah, gosh, what a generous thing to do as the mother. As a mother. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a great mindset that you've also learnt from that experience. Um, Absolutely. And I, I, you know, I'm a a mother myself now. I have two young children. And so being now on that side of the equation as a mom, I I often think back um, to how resilient many of uh, our families here in Lesotho have had to be over the years. And those particularly who've had to deal with such tough situations and, and, and situations that I would really find hard to put myself in their position and imagine how I would feel as a, a young mom going through something like that. Um, but just to really think back to how she was able to, to constantly remain positive and keep that in mind has, has really always helped me. And, and Danae, I'm really curious. I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about practicing medicine. It's clearly something that really lights you up. What's been the hardest thing for you in transitioning from being a doctor solely focused on medicine to becoming a leader of a clinic? I think the hardest thing has really been trying not to get involved in everything clinical. When I first got here, I really wanted to be in the consulting room and really be hands-on. I wanted to be on the front lines and hearing all the patient stories and spending time immersing myself in all the technical details of um, pediatric HIV and TB clinical care, because that's what I really love. That's why I went to medical school. That's what I'm passionate about. But now transitioning to the role as executive director, I really had to be deliberate about pulling back and spending that time focusing on broader organizational issues, um, uh, things like budgeting and policies and strategic direction and really focusing on how do we grow the foundation? How do we make sure that we strengthen our program and make sure that the services that we provide are going to be sustainable and, and that we don't compromise on the quality of the care that we're providing in our own clinics and, and in the uh, the donor-funded programs that we're implementing. So it has been really hard to pull back a little bit and and shift my mindset and focus more on the programmatic sustainability and and the direction of the foundation rather than trying to jump into to all the clinical and technical details. Gosh, I can so imagine that. But it sounds as if from what you're saying that you've kind of elevated yourself and found this purpose because you're now making sure that everybody can do their job and you can save many more people because of your role leading those 300 people that you're leading. Absolutely. It's really been powerful to see how much the foundation has been able to grow over the last few years. And actually at last count, which was uh, the end of last month, our staff was at 795. So wow. we have really, really grown um, Yeah, since the early days. And thinking back to, to the very first day when we first opened in 2005, we had a staff of about 25 people at that time. So now to really be able to have such a a strong presence here in Lesotho is is absolutely fantastic. And so it's what keeps me going. I'm really intrigued, actually, because your job from going from a doctor to running an organization, particularly an organization this big, you said budgets and strategy and capacity building, etc., 
funding. How have you learned those skills? Was it just sort of watching your mother role model or what's been the the sort of journey that you've had to go on? Been interesting. I think there was uh, a quite a lot that I learned in the early years, uh, the seven years that I worked side by side with my mother um, here in Lesotho. So, you know, when she was here, she was uh, in the executive director role. And initially I was a, a pediatrician, primarily seeing patients, but I got to then transition to the role of being the associate director of the clinic. And for me, that was really uh, a big transition that helped me to really start to learn and get involved in the administrative oversight and the, the running of the organization, um, overseeing clinical departments, uh, applying for grant proposals and managing um, some of the budgets for those early small grants. And so that was really a, a great opportunity to learn some of those skills um, early on. And then since I've come back here, I've really been working with many of our, our partners within the Baylor um, network. We are part of a network of clinics that are in many countries throughout the region. And I've had the opportunity to work side by side with many fantastic colleagues um, who I've learned a lot from. You clearly have a busy, a busy life. You've got young children. You have, you know, 795 staff. You have these logistical challenges in Lesotho. Are there any kind of key habits that you rely on to help you stay the course and get everything that you need to do done? That's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure if this, uh, not sure if this really qualifies as a habit, but I would say one of the things that I, I really always try to do is is never take things personally in the work environment. Work is work, and 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 I really um, feel like I, I appreciate hearing different points of view from colleagues in the workplace, and 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 also being challenged to change my thinking on things. So I appreciate uh, being able to have those spirited discussions in the workplace, and and never take anything personally. You're right. As you get more senior, this is something that you have to really get to grips with. How do you actually practically do that? If you're reading something or you've heard something from somebody, are there things that you say to yourself or practices that you actually do? Hmm. I wouldn't say that there are necessarily things that I say to myself, but I just always try to put myself uh, in that person's shoes and think about why it is that they're saying whatever they they may be saying, why it is that they're uh, that I'm maybe getting pushback on something that I've uh, that I'm trying to achieve or to implement and think about it that, you know, they, they may not be happy with the situation um, or they may be in a in a difficult spot themselves and maybe they're reacting to something um but what they're reacting to is not me as an individual um but it may be something that 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 we're having to deal with a, a challenge that we're having to deal with together i love the way that you have empathy for the other person i think that's a it's a really important skill as you're making these difficult decisions and you know what what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given the best piece of advice I would say um, is this is something that um, that was said to me by um, one of uh, my seniors during my pediatric residency, one of the senior residents that I was working with. It was uh, in the middle of a really tough shift at the hospital. We had um, you know some difficult situations, and um, she said to me, "Just always remember that you can't stop the clock." 
And that's a really simple statement, but it's a really powerful one that has stuck with me uh, over the years. And really what she was trying to say is that eventually this awful day will be over and you'll look up, you'll look at the clock and suddenly it'll be time to go home and you'll be out of this um, this particularly tough situation that you're currently in. And um, so that's something that I try to tell myself whenever I have a hard situation that I'm going through at work or even in other areas of my life that one way or another, this situation will eventually pass. It's almost like a mantra that I try to tell myself often that you can't stop the clock. Eventually, whether it's a, a leadership challenge or a difficult conversation, managing a tough relationship with a donor or stakeholder or dealing with a, a, a tough situation with a patient that that you're working with, eventually this situation will pass and I'll look up and realize that it's over and I've made it to the other side of that, that tough situation or that challenge. So it's uh, really a comforting thought that keeps me um, moving forward and maintaining momentum during tough times. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? I, I, I think of that as this too shall pass. This has been such a, a fascinating and wonderful conversation. My last question for you, it may be a big question or it may not be. You may be super clear and it may be very um, easy to answer, which is what does success look like to you? For me, success uh, looks like just really loving what I do and being committed to to my purpose in life. It's important for me to get up every morning and and not uh, groan or be sad or feel down that I have to go to work that day because I, I truly love what I do and I see it as a privilege to be able to do what I do and and help so many people through our programs. So that to me is what success looks like. Really, just waking up every day and, and continuing to have a passion for for the work that I do. Um, so I get to guide our organization to grow and thrive um, in, in challenging times so that we can help more people. And, and that really gives me energy and purpose. And so in that sense, I feel like I, I have been able to achieve a, a little measure of success so far, but something that I will always continue to strive to achieve moving forward. Well, Danae, the impact that you're making is clearly incredible. And I'm sure the kingdom of Lesotho is incredibly grateful that you have come back to your roots and are doing the work that you're doing. If listeners want to learn more about the work you do or Baylor, where should they go to find out more? They can go to our website, which is uh, BaylorLesotho.org, or to TexasChildrensGlobal.org. Texas Children's is, is our network affiliate partner in Houston, Texas. So TexasChildrensGlobal.org, and then click on Lesotho. We are part of a broad global child health network, which is, is discussed on their website, and, and they can learn more information about the broader program as well as uh, what we do in Lesotho. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Dineo, for sharing your story. It's very inspirational. And thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of, well, everyone, really, but particularly the, the kingdom of Lesotho. But, uh, you know, we're really grateful. And uh, best of luck going forward. And it's been so good to connect again. It has been. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciated, um, you know, this opportunity to catch up and to chat about some of the work that we do. And you know, I really appreciate getting to share more with, with your listeners. Thank you, Danae. You can really hear the passion in Danae's voice when she speaks about her work and just how much she enjoys it, can't you? 
Yeah, absolutely. And how moving was the story about that mother who lost a little boy? That really was incredible. I mean, I have to say, the grace of that mother, I get goosebumps thinking about that moment and the strength she showed. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, I learned a lot in this episode. Plus, I want to visit Lesotho now. You know, it sounds absolutely beautiful. It is. You know, one of my most memorable times there was going on this incredibly long four-wheel drive journey with no roads. We were just driving through grasslands and hills to an incredibly remote and tiny village to check on the progress of one particular little girl who was HIV positive whom we'd met at the clinic that Deneo now runs. Where they lived, a visit to the doctor meant a journey of several days each way. Yeah, incredible. I also love Deneo's best piece of advice, you know, to always remember you can't stop the clock. Yeah. That reminder that however tough your day is, soon that day will actually come to an end. You know, and that sentiment, you know, it's really, it's all about that too shall pass. It's just so true, isn't it? Everything in life is impermanent. Yeah, I think it's a real human truth and I can see why Deneo felt it was the best piece of advice she'd been given. As a young doctor, you can imagine how heavy sometimes the burden you carry on your shoulders would be. Totally. Changing the topic slightly, I'm really chuffed and it's really fitting that we reflect on Deneo's great work right now and that of all healthcare workers everywhere. Because World AIDS Day is just around the corner on December the 1st. So I'm really thrilled we can help recognise that with this episode. Yeah, agree. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode with pioneering lawyer and board director Sarah Davis. Yeah, that's a fascinating one. And a big shout out to all the people working in healthcare right now. We really appreciate and value your work your contribution and your dedication so much. In the meantime, have a great rest of your week, everyone, and ciao for now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.